Welcome into a new Buff Stampede Radio. Adam Munster Tiger, publisher of BuffStampede.com. Joined on this show by Chase Howell. Chase, it's great to have you on. Great to do some stuff during the early signing period. For the folks out there that, that haven't heard you on, on the Buff Stampede podcast lately, I, you know, give everybody an update. How, how's life treating you these days? <laughs> yeah, it's great to be on. I think it's probably been three-ish years since I've been on the podcast, three, four years. But uh, we did quite a few recruiting podcasts together. Uh, I worked for Adam for three years during my college days. So I graduated from CU in 2020. Um, and actually, for the majority of the time I was at CU, I was working with Adam and helping him out um, at 24-7 Sports. So it's a very comfortable position for me uh, to be back talking with you and discussing all things recruiting, especially with everything that's going on now. But um, yeah, I still stay busy. I work for the Action Network. Um, that's my main journalism job. And then I'm caddying all the time, coaching hockey. I do a lot of different things, but um, it's been Action Network. And now we've added Buff Stampede in the last few weeks, I guess. Awesome. Yeah. And you did the live recap podcast with Vinay too. Mm-hmm. And that wasn't too that's long right. ago. I think that might've been the, the COVID season, right? 2020. Yeah. Yeah. That was the COVID season. So that, yeah, I guess that was, my I guess last, I kind of yeah. forget that, that year happened, but yeah. I know, well, we all kind of wish we could forget on, on some level 2020, mm-hmm. but I'm battling a cold. You're still waking up, but we're going to power through because there is a lot to talk about. Chase Colorado's roster overhaul continues. You start adding this up, it, it is crazy. 16 high school signees, two junior college signees. And at the taping of this podcast, 23 scholarship transfer additions. That doesn't even include some of the walk-on additions they've had. You know, they've added a, a walk-on long snapper transfer, walk-on JUCO transfer, Deuce Robertson. It's just been absolute nuts covering this. You're talking about... That's 45 scholarship commitments if you include the fact that they've gotten three verbal pledges for 2024, a five-star pledge for 2025, and that's 45 scholarship additions in 45 days. So just unlike anything I've ever seen in, in 20 years covering Colorado football, what's been your reaction to just this overhaul that we've seen with the, the roster? It, it was expected, maybe not quite to this extreme, though. Yeah, it's unlike anything we've seen at CU football, but it's probably going to be unlike anything we see going forward, too. This is really the only year um, that you should be able to do this. The transfer restrictions are going to get a lot bigger as we go on, especially with players and whether they're going to be able to transfer or not. So um, this is the lucky year. It just kind of worked out timing-wise, hiring Coach Prime um, to be able to completely flip your roster. Uh, This isn't going to happen in the future. So it worked out. Uh, I kind of, I mean, it, it's hard to, it was hard to guess how much this roster was going to turn over, but I figured that by the end of spring ball, it'd probably be close to 50 players. I didn't know that they might be able to get close to 40 um, just in the mid-year transfers and the recruits, but um, we kind of expected a bigger roster overhaul, especially after tech, the speech that Dion gave to the team right when he was hired. Uh, and so None of it has been too surprising, but uh, it's been a ton of fun to follow. And I know it's probably taken up a lot more time than I expected. I did not expect my time to be spent pretty much perusing message boards, looking at Twitter, all this different stuff that we've had to do. But to keep up with 45 players in 45 days, it's been tough. And I feel like we, we've been able to do a, little, a good job of that. It's, it's tough to know everyone, but we're going to start learning everyone for sure. 
Yeah. And there's some guys that we've circled back and try to do film rooms on because it, it has just been moving so fast that you almost do have to kind of circle back a little bit and go, okay, here's a little bit more on this guy that uh, it was kind of a rushed report because it, you know, it was breaking news. And and then uh, there was a commitment an hour later. And so, uh, yeah, no, it's, it's going to be a fun off season, especially when we get into spring ball to be able to interview some of these guys and give a little bit more of the backstory there. I'm curious before we get into the whole Cormani McLean saga that, that continues Chase, who are some of your favorite additions? It could be high school guys, JUCO additions through the portal. Are, are there some guys that really stand out to you that you think Colorado fans should be most excited about? Yeah, we did a film room, I think, on Omar and Miller. Uh, I'm really excited about him the more that I even think about him and what this wide receiver depth chart is going to look like. It does seem like he might have a chance to play early when we had originally done that film room we didn't know how the wide receiver class was going to shake out we didn't know about kevin coleman um and a couple of those other guys that all other dominoes that needed to fall but it looks like omarion miller might be able to play early and i'm pretty excited about him as a recruit he's probably he's probably my becoming my favorite recruit in this class uh just because of i think he's going to be able to play early and he's going to be able to play well early um we get to see him this week i believe on friday is that right that's correct at the Polynesian Bowl. Yep. Yeah. So I'm excited to get to see that as well. That'll be on TV. Give me a second to think about it. My favorite transfer portal player. Who's yours? From the the portal? Well, I mean, you got to kind of go chalk with Shadur Sanders and Travis Hunter. I mean, it, for, for obvious reasons, you've gone from having. I was trying not to go chalk. That's why I need. Yeah. Some yeah. Time. I was to Outside say. of those two, uh, well, with the high school guys. Every year I do a list of different picks, best offensive signee, best defensive signee. And I, I throw in a most underrated signee pick and, and spoiler alert here this year. I have a pretty easy choice there. Taj McCoy as mm-hmm. a pass rusher. Now that's a, a tough position to come in and play right away as a true freshman, but he is uh, really, really impressive at getting into the backfield and, and creating havoc back there. 17 sacks as a senior. And he's a guy that when you watch his film, that screams blue chip recruit. And he's only a three star on 24 seven sports. So kind of going away a little bit chalk there. Savion Washington, as far as the transfer goes, I, I would be surprised if he's not the starting right tackle for the Buffaloes this year. And he's not necessarily a household name coming in from Kent State. So that's a guy that a little bit further away from from chalk. Uh, Vonta Bentley from Clemson as a linebacker. I really like the the production that he had there. And and from what I've heard from the folks that covered him out there, you know, there was a lot of talent in front of him. And in the opportunities he got at Clemson, he showed really well. So uh, going back to high school, I mean, how can you not love Dylan Edwards? I mean, that is speed that uh, is pretty rare. Uh, even at the college football level. So I think he's a guy that's going to come in right away. Um, Any other guys that stand out to you? Yeah, just going back to the transfer portal, uh, I think the two Arkansas guys that they've gotten this past week, it's two guys that played a lot of football for Arkansas, which I think is the most exciting part about that, Miles Slusher and J.D. Dominic, Jordan Dominic. I don't know. It sounds like he likes to go by J.D., but um, both of them played a ton of football at Arkansas, and there's quite a bit of production, especially from uh, J.D. Dominic. You, you get a guy that was third in the SEC in sacks last year, um, so a guy that's obviously going to start early. And we haven't seen an elite pass rusher at CU in quite a while. I, I, Mustafa Johnson had one really good year, 
Um, he wasn't as consistent later on his, in his career, but we haven't seen an elite pass rusher like this. And, and it could be a lot of fun to have a guy like Jordan Dominic and maybe Taylor Upshaw as well from Michigan, but some edge rushers. Um, it just feels like there hasn't been that elite guy at CU in quite a while. Yeah, you got to go all the way back to 2016, Jimmy Gilbert, since the last time they had uh, elite pass rush season for, from a player. So I talked to Jordan Dominic last night, actually, and we got a question about who our favorite guys are to interview. And I know that Jordan Dominic's only going to be in Boulder for a year, but that was a really impressive conversation I had with him. He's a really smart young man. So excited to, to do more interviews with him going forward. It's crazy, Chase. After the early signing period, Ryan Howell and I spent a half an hour just talking about different guys that were excited about being part of this class and, and getting a chance to cover in the future. And we stopped recording in about 30 minutes because it was like, okay, we, we've got a whole offseason coming up. We're not going to just dissect these guys for five hours here. We got to have some cutoff point. And, you know, usually with videos, you don't want to go even really a half an hour long. That's pretty long for video standards. I realized at the end of that, we did not even mention Jimmy Horn Jr. We did not mention Seydoux Treor. Those would have been headlining guys in previous years. We would have spent the bulk of that video talking about a talent like a Jimmy Horn Jr. coming in. Treor is a guy that was first team all Sun Belt and is going to be a really good pass target for them at the tight end position that that's where it kind of sunk in for me of of just how drastic things have changed in terms of the amount of talent coming in that we could spend that much time and not even mention guys that would have been headliners you remember when Shea Fields committed it was like we spent a week talking about him and he's a good player had a pretty good career at CU but Shea Fields are like kind of the the norm now if not even on the low end of the type of talent they're bringing in it's crazy yeah, I think it's Shay. He was what, a high three star. Maybe he got some four star love from some. Yeah, he was kind of in that fringe category. Yeah, yeah, which is which has become the average recruit um, for CU under Coach Prime. You look at Kendrick uh, Breedlove, who they got a commitment from, and I think he's already on campus at CU from yesterday. And you had some people on the message board asking if he's going to be a preferred walk on. It's like <laughs> this, this guy had <laughs> a lot of Power Five offers. He could have started at Ole Miss. Like this, these are. Talented guys, they might not be four or five stars, but these are talented guys that I think people would have been really excited about a breed love um, a year or two ago. And he probably could have highlighted the class and other people are like, is that even a guy that's going to play at CU now? Of course, most of the focus right now from the fans out there is focused on the recruitment of Cormani McLean. The Buffs are in the mix to potentially sign their first five-star high school prospect since 2008. You go back to the year 2000, C was only signed three five-star high school recruits. So it makes sense why so many people are focused on the drama surrounding McLean's recruitment. Uh, I will say, Chase, on a lighthearted note to start out here, for Cormani McLean being born and raised in Florida, his snow angel technique is, is pretty impressive. I, I did think that that was impressive, and I liked the picture. Not a lot of people will take a picture after they got up, and you could actually see the angel. It was, it was <laughs> yeah. an angel. So we know that he's visited Colorado. Uh, I know that you submitted a crystal ball prediction in favor of the Buffaloes. Everything I'm hearing sounds very positive for the Buffaloes. I, I don't think any fan base should necessarily feel comfortable no matter what happens 
what Cormani McLean decides to or not to put out there in terms of what he's thinking and, and based on his history and, and how he's operated as a recruit, I would imagine not a whole lot's going to come out, but uh Nothing's binding until February 1st. So that that's the date we're really going to find out there. Uh, what, what are your thoughts? I mentioned you submitted that crystal ball prediction. I feel pretty good about CU's chances. Uh, but with a recruit like this, uh, you know, and him being a Florida kid, uh, again, I I'm still a little apprehensive and, and I don't want people, I don't want to go out there, chase and say, I think he's going to be a buff. And then everybody assumes that that's fact and, and runs with it. So I have to kind of temper myself a little bit with the recruiting in terms of his recruitment I feel like yeah and that that's kind of why we have these crystal balls and um when I was doing the crystal balls previously three years ago when I was helping you out we didn't have that confidence score or at least I think it came right at the end of when I was working for you and now we have that confidence score that's like we're not giving out that these are eight nine type of predictions a six seven is we feel pretty we feel good enough at this point to be able to put that in but it doesn't mean that it's a sure thing or that we've heard that it's a sure thing um but yeah for the most part i mean i submitted that crystal ball saturday i think during the day uh and to me i kept hearing from people around the cu football program that they feel good about where they're at obviously he he's taken this visit for a reason um and they felt good about that but i think the other side of it for me and why I was willing to submit it is um, his options with these other two schools. I think he's talking it, the thing that happened with Miami, them trying to visit his high school and um, him not even being there. And I think someone that's committed to a school, they might tell the, tell them about his plans to travel somewhere or somebody that's a little bit more um, communicative to the team that he's committed to, I think would have been better there so you kind of just kind of pick up on these little things that i'm like he's probably not gonna go to alabama i know i think there was a miami guy that said yesterday that they're still in it um but that's the only other those are the three schools we're looking at right now and i just felt good about where cu stands amongst the other three schools as well and not just all that i'm hearing from cu i mean that's why i was willing to do it but this is this recruitment is wild and anything can happen and i think that's kind of there's something fun about that. There's some drama about that, but yeah, it, it's unpredictable. I think a lot of people know that people have talked that Cormani doesn't really talk to anybody. He doesn't want to talk to the media. He doesn't want the spotlight. So people aren't going to know what Cormani's thinking. But when you, we talk to these people around the program and what they have heard from Cormani, at least people that have gotten to talk to Cormani, Sue feels good right now, but <laughs> we got two weeks to go and there could be a lot of drama that happens in the next two weeks. With him and, and just his ability, he has got elite, elite ball skills. Not a finished product. Uh, you know, the analysts that have seen him play in person a lot of times just talk about there are things of his game that need to be molded. But at the end of the day, there are just freakish traits that he possesses that make him kind of a, close to a can't-miss recruit. Uh, this is a guy that is going to be a future early round NFL draft pick. I don't think there's a whole lot of debate there. This is, you know, you, you had Travis Hunter, who was a can't miss and, and it doesn't feel like Cormani's that, that far behind from that. Yeah. You put on the tape and it's just a different type of football player than anything that I've seen see you recruiting um, as of late. And I know, I think he got a major downgrade on one of the other recruiting sites recently, which, um, 
I guess had to, had a little bit to do with how he performed at the Under Armour All-American game, particularly during practices. But uh, it sounds like he was a little bit banged up for that. And obviously, there's a lot of drama going around. So it's hard to judge him off of practice when we have seen the tape over the last two years. And he's clearly one of the best players in the country. Uh, and what I really like about him as a corner is that length. You don't get guys that are six foot two. Uh, maybe even six foot three. You look at it next to Deion Sanders, and it's this guy could be closer to six foot three. Cormani was towering over him. Um, and you can also see it in his arm length as well. So I Cormani, obviously, he has to grow a little bit. Everybody talks about how he's skinny. Uh, I don't worry too much about skinny corners. I think some CU fans have nightmares based off the last uh highly ranked corner that was really skinny coming out of high school that they got about 10 years ago, Yuri Wright. Um, but Skinny corners have had a lot of success in college football and in the NFL right now, and it's not really something um, that I'm going to worry about, especially in a scheme that's likely going to play a lot of man defense. So, um, yeah, he's going to be probably one of the best recruits that CU has ever had if they're able to land him. Yeah, Yuri, right. There was some other stuff going on there. You, this was a young man that didn't really love football. And if Cormani McLean comes to Colorado – and decides to be a buff over Miami, which he's had the, the ties of growing up in that state. He's coming to Colorado to work. I think that would say a lot about his competitiveness if he does pick Colorado, right? Because Coach Prime isn't going to coddle, uh, you know, a five-star recruit. He's going to tell him how it is, and um, that that would be pretty impressive to show for Cormani that that he's willing to kind of go outside of his comfort zone to really to maximize his potential to know that it's not going to be the easy road going to Colorado that this is the man that's going to get uh him with coach Mathis as well coaching him at corner the, these are the guys that uh can squeeze you know the potential out of out of already these freakish gifts that he's been given so there's a quick breakdown we're going to give of the recruiting calendar here there's a contact period right now through January 28th, the 29th is a quiet period. So prospects can finish up their off-campus visits that Sunday. Then uh, the regular signing period falls on the first Wednesday in February, which happens to be the first this time around. Then there's going to be a 30-day dead period, which goes through the month of February. The recruiting calendar is going to open up for a quiet period where recruits can take Unofficial visits from March 1st through April 14th, then the spring evaluation and the spring official visits begin. I'm not convinced there's a perfect recruiting calendar out there, but one thing I do feel pretty strongly about, Chase, is that they need to do away with this December signing period. If you're going to have an early signing period, you do it in the summer and kind of similar to basketball where if there's a coaching change, you let them out of their national letter of intent, let them go through their recruitment again. but. There's just too much going on for these coaches in the month of December, especially for these successful teams. You know, if you're playing in a big time bowl game, you really shouldn't be at a disadvantage with recruiting, but you kind of are now because you're you're busy with preparation for that big bowl game when maybe a school that doesn't have that can spend more time recruiting. So I don't know. It sounds like the momentum is pushing in the direction to do away with the December signing period. What What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, the other point to make on that, I think, is that when they decided on the early signing period, this was what, six years ago, five, six years ago? that Sounds about it, right. It was started. Uh, they didn't know that the transfer portal was going to completely blow up. 
And so now what has happened in December and right after this regular season ends is you got all these guys entering the transfer portal. Portal part, I think, opened, what, first week of December, December 3rd. So <laughs> all these personnel guys, all these coaches guys have to worry about the portal. And they're trying to lock up an, an entire class. And I, it's just become way too much, especially, as you mentioned, if you're going to a bowl game or um, you have postseason aspirations, there's a lot going on for those coaches right in the holiday season, right in the middle of it. So, yeah, I think I would definitely rather um, them move that out of December, possibly maybe putting one before the season, um, but maybe having one earlier, like the last week of January or maybe three weeks into January, but some, something in that area towards it. So it's not all the way the first week of February, but um, yeah, I, I don't think that the December signing period should last much longer, especially with how this transfer portal thing is blown up. We got asked a bunch of questions for our mailbag. A lot of questions about who are the guys that are returning from last year's team that we think could impress and stick around and still have a role on the team. I mean, there's some obvious guys like uh, a Jordan Tyson once he comes back from his injury, Van Wells at center, uh, Trevor Woods at safety, obviously had a breakout season, was their best graded player on defense this past season. A any other guys that you're kind of anxious to see how they stack up with more talent being in the program and, and that you think will stack up well with that challenge upcoming here this spring? Yeah, I think there's two position groups that I'm interested in seeing, and I think that's linebacker and running back, and because I think that they have, especially young talent, um, I think they have young talent at both positions, guys that have already been at CU, uh, but we'll see if they're able to beat out some of these transfer portal guys. They haven't really gotten too many high school recruits, I guess, couple at linebacker, but not too many at running back, so I think those are two position groups that I'm really interested to see because I do think that some guys that were already at CU could definitely start there. Um, and obviously those are two positions that are very rotated in. So even if they don't start, I think we're going to see a lot of guys that have previously played at CU playing at those positions. Yeah. Anthony Hankerson at running back is got to be a guy. Uh, you mentioned linebacker, Aubrey Smith, Owen Carey, probably a couple mm -hmm. guys high on that list. Absolutely. Curious to see how does Nico Reed compete? You know, mm -hmm. he, he was, uh, certainly not a finished product, but not the the issue for that 2022 team and, and certainly uh, has playmaking abilities. Dylan Dixon is a guy at safety that, that I could see make it a strong impression. He was having a, a good first camp with the Buffaloes, played a little bit early on in the season, but had to go in for surgery. What about Travis Gray? He's a guy that when you just walk into the facility, he, he looks like an NFL type offensive lineman. There's certainly some tools there that need to be refined. I, I'm curious to see how he fits in with Bill O'Boyle's plans there on the future on the, the offensive line. A dark horse candidate for me, Chase, is Austin Smith at tight end. He came in really, really raw from a really small town in Texas. He had to play receiver in high school was just figuring out how to play tight end and Daniel Graham, who obviously, uh, you know, is a guy that, that would know NFL talent if he sees it at the tight end position, thinks that he has got a potential as a, as a professional at that position once he gets his skills honed. So I'm, I'm anxious to see how he fits in there. there there's a long list of guys, uh, Caleb Fourier, Eric Olson, how do they fit in at tight end? Do, do they prove they, they can fit into this new offense? Um, can Caleb Fourier stay healthy? I think that's been the biggest issue with him. Aaron Austin on the defensive line, I heard some good things about. 
last year. He was even on some special teams. Um, Simeon Harris and Jason Oliver played quite a bit as true freshmen in the secondary. So there, there's a lot of names to throw out there. And I really am curious. I think, Chase, there's going to be some guys that maybe we don't even expect that really step up to the challenge. And that's maybe been one surprising thing to me so far during this coach prime era is the fact that when he had that initial meeting with the team and said, Hey, go hit the portal. <laughs> you know, that a lot of guys stood up to that challenge and, and they came back for the spring semester and they feel that they can fit in even with the influx of talent and, you know, challenge for a starting job that, that, that was maybe one surprise that is that there weren't more guys that hit the portal. Yeah. Yeah. We talked about all the turnover at the beginning of the show, but it, it definitely, I think it surprised a lot of people that, um, we just didn't see a huge influx. I, for some reason, when that video was posted, I think, especially nationally, I don't think as much just CU fans, but nationally, people just thought all these CU players were just going to be jumping in the portal um, after that speech that Dion gave to the team when he was hired. But that has not been the case at all. And I think sometimes we underestimate, um, and I'm trying to, I want to word this correctly, but how highly... Um, these college athletes think of themselves as well, even if, if they're on a one and 11 football team, they know that they can compete at the power five level. They've already been doing it. Um, and I don't think that they saw Dion walk in there and they're like, Oh, my spot's gone. Uh, I just don't think that's how a lot of college athletes think. And um, especially ones that have been successful and been able to get to this elite level, you have to have been a good football player to have gotten a scholarship offer at CU just because they were one and 11 doesn't mean that there weren't good football players on this team. I think that they lost confidence and um, a lot of other things and maybe weren't as well coached, but they're in their head and their mindset. I don't think they were like, Oh, my spot's gone. I'm not ever going to play here. I think a lot yeah. of those guys until proven differently. And that's why we're going to have spring ball. That's why we're going to have this semester, but until proven differently, I think they all believe that they can start for this team. And those will be fun of the some of the most fun stories to cover here the next couple of years is the guys that stood up to the challenge and you know thrived here with, with the coaching turnover. Before we get into the mailbag, let's spend a couple minutes here, Chase, on the men's basketball program. Obviously, a disappointing road trip out to Los Angeles last week. 45 turnovers over those two games, both losses in which they they were in it until kind of the, the final minutes in which uh, USC and UCLA both ran away with it late. 11-8 and eight now overall, 3-5 and five in conference play. Chase, I expected this to be an NIT team, but I don't think anybody could have predicted the nature of, of this season in terms of the extreme roller coaster that it's been, looking like a top 25 team on many occasions, yet looking like one of the worst Division One teams in, in the country on other occasions. Uh, what are your overall thoughts here on the season? How surprised are you just in terms of how bipolar it's been for the Buffaloes? Yeah, I think it, it's funny because if you said that they were 11-8 and eight or right around 11-8 and eight at this point before the season, I don't think that would be much of a surprise. I think this team, I think a lot of us that have covered this team or have been around this team knew that this team was going to struggle a little bit. They're young and inexperienced. They lost their two biggest contributors last year, um, and they didn't have they didn't have any seniors that were on the team last year returning this year. Um, their two seniors on the team were both transfers, so it was a team that lacked some leadership, um, and we knew that they were probably going to struggle early was what Tad said a lot. And um, it feels like they, they're struggling later in the season than we expected. And I think 
The big reason why I say struggling is because of the turnovers, 40-plus turnovers this past weekend. was tough to watch, I think, for a lot of CU fans. Um, and it's not just one guy, though. You look at the box score against UCLA, and you go right down the starting lineup, it's like three turnovers, three turnovers, four turnovers, three turnovers, four turnovers. It's not just one guy. It's this whole team um, that hasn't been able to take care of the basketball the last two games. They were right in that game, though. They're up nine on UCLA in the second half. That just goes to show that this team does have talent and they can beat anybody. And they have beat um, some of the best teams in the country already. So it's been up and down. I I think those that don't follow college basketball as closely, they're not used to the randomness of, that college basketball brings. The best teams in the country lose to average teams in their conference a lot. Um, and they also have very poor for, poor performances uh you look at kentucky they're supposed to be the number one team in the country this year and they've lost a lot of really bad games and so this kind of just happens in college basketball um obviously they're not exceeding expectations this season but everybody's looking forward to next year um if you're able to return most of the key guys next year it's looking like a a team that's probably going to be able to make a run in the ncaa tournament so if they keep growing they keep learning um i think the biggest bright spot this past weekend for me, was Lawson Lover. You can tell how much that that guy has grown um, this season and from last season. And a lot of people were worried about him. But um, when you're dealing with the development of a seven-footer, it usually takes a little bit longer. And we're starting to see the fruits of that. We're starting to see him become a good college basketball player. And he's still young. So I'm excited about that. Um, there's definitely still things that I'm excited about this basketball team. It just it hasn't been as much fun as we're used to with CU basketball, I guess. Yeah, you look at the starting lineup. I mean, four of the five guys are are playing to the expectation that I had coming into the season, and then that includes Lawson Lover. And you know, he knew he was going to be a work in progress. Nick Clifford, though that 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 one has hurt. He's shooting thirty eight percent from the field, twenty three percent from three point range, fifty two percent from the free throw line. He has not made that jump, and if anything, he's kind of regressed from from last season. So that's been. The guy in that starting lineup, you got gosh, if, if he had made that step, I think eleven and eight turns into maybe thirteen and six at this point. And maybe they're looking like a fringe bubble team. Um, Ethan Wright, too, I he was so automatic all preseason. And and I totally get that game shooting is different than practice shooting, but he's been cold for most of the season now, you know, he had a, a couple games early on in the season where he he got hot. Th- those are a couple guys that looked at, you know, that, that just have not quite lived up to what I was expecting out of them. And it, it certainly hasn't helped that Gabadon's been hurt here the, the last few weeks. A- anything else before we move on that, that that stood out to you in terms of not matching up with your expectations with this basketball team? No, I, I think that's a fair point. And I, I think just the depth on this team in general, I, I, we talked about it a lot before the season that this team has a lot of depth. They can go 10, 12 deep. But I think a lot of the the guys, especially in the second, you mentioned four of the five starters have performed well. But in the second team, the guys that are six through 10 in the rotation, I think have been very disappointing. Um, not it, it doesn't seem like they can rely on their bench as much as we expected this season. And a, a lot of college basketball teams are dealing with that, but I think that that is one reason. Uh, the other point I wanted to make when you're talking about Nick Clifford is it's, it's really tough to watch Jalen Clark tear it up with UCLA um, and Nick, Nick Clifford be a disappointment because those were, they had to decide between one of those two guys. And I don't think anybody blames Tad and the coaching staff for picking the in-state kid that had a ton of talent, but watching Jalen Clark, he, that is, 
a really good player, and he looks like he's going to be an NBA player because he's so good on the defensive end. You've got mail. All right, let's jump into the Buff Stampede mailbag. Our first question is from John Wee. He asked, who are the early enrollees from the high school recruits? I'll just list them off real quick. They are quarterback Ryan Staub, running back Dylan Edwards, linebacker Morgan Pearson, linebacker Victory Johnson, safe Milliner Jones. And then I'm still working on confirmation on linebacker Kofi Taylor Barracks from England. Last time I checked, there was still some paperwork stuff that needed to be finalized there. And even though the spring semester is starting today, there's still a little bit of wiggle room here in terms of getting guys in. So uh, we'll, we'll keep an eye on that. I think of that group. Chase, unless Ryan Stop proves to be your backup quarterback this year, Dylan Edwards is the guy out of that group that I look to in terms of having a role on this team. Just w- with that speed, you usually don't have that speed just hanging out on your sideline. You you find ways to get the, the ball into the hands of that guy that has that speed, right? Yeah, and it's probably a great thing that he's going to be in spring ball because he's a guy that they're going to have to find ways to get the ball in his hands during the season, I think. So um, the yeah. faster that he learns this offense and is able to get in the game, uh, I think is even better. So, yeah, it's, it's hard not to be really excited about Dylan Edwards. EPO Buff asked, based on scholarship numbers in current roster composition, where is the biggest need heading into February? Is there one that stands out for you, Chase? I think a lot of people have talked about it, but um, it's that defensive tackle position. And we'll, we'll see what they end up doing. Um, it's been really tough in the transfer portal. They were able to get Leonard Payne, but um, there's just hasn't been much talent and and it, it, there rarely is even recruiting defensive tackles is, can be really tough so um yeah they're gonna have to find i think one or two defensive tackles in the transfer portal and and they might not be high caliber high talent but they're gonna need some depth at that position because it seems like right now they're going with cu guys and, and leonard Payne. it seems like they could use an established guy to add into the inside linebackers room as well it mentioned some of the young guys, you know, and Aubrey Smith and Owen Carey that, that you feel good about, and you bring in Bentley from Clemson, but you get a few injuries at that position, and all of a sudden, you know, I think you'd be worried a little bit about that position. Um, maybe a veteran backup quarterback as well, but that is such a tricky deal to bring in a guy you'd really feel comfortable running your offense, but also tell him, hey, you're clearly not going to be the starter. That That's tough to pull off. Um does Ryan Staub look like he could come in and, and at least run the offense as a true freshman or Weissman coming in from the high school ranks as well? I, I, I don't know, but that's maybe another spot that you don't feel 100% comfortable with. Buff Runner asked, has Coach Prime done home visits with any recruits? He has to have, just don't hear about it. How is he in home with the parents? Well, yeah, there just hasn't been time for Coach Prime. If you follow him on social media, he's a lot of places. And uh, that that's another reason why I think I don't like the December signing period is when you go through a coaching change, you're scrambling so much. You, you don't have an opportunity in that calendar to get out there and properly do those in-home visits. So I'm sure you're going to see a lot of pictures once Coach Prime finally makes it out there. You know, it's obviously a lot of in-homes with the assistant coaches and stuff, but uh, it's been a different type of year just from a a scrambling to put this roster together in a very short period of time. But uh, uh, we know how he's going to be with parents. He's going to be magnetic and and awesome and, and real, you know, Mm -hmm. I I think the one thing with coach prime is, you know, he wears different hats, but at the core, he's got a pretty consistent message that, that I think we've all 
seen here in the last month, right? I don't think you have to kind of question what his message is going to be during an in-home visit. That might be the coolest video that Well Off Media puts out, and they would have to probably wait until one of those recruits signs um, and signs at CU. But uh, if they were able to put a video of an in-home visit, I think everybody would love to watch what Coach Prime does in, in an in-home visit. But yeah, he hasn't had the time yet. They're, they're able to go out um, right now, right? Into, through February 1st? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or at least up close to that point. Yeah, so we'll probably see him soon. But uh, at least during that early signing period, he coached all the way up until they weren't able to visit the players anymore. So he just wasn't able to at all. Max Buff 7 asks, based off what we know at the time of this mailbag, excluding the obvious, which is quarterback, which position group makes the biggest leap next year as a follow-up, which makes the smallest? I'll let you lead off here, Chase. Uh, I think the for me, I think it's going to be the tackle position. I think you bring in Savion Washington, you bring in Isaiah Jada, uh, and a few more guys that could br- provide some depth at the position. It was um, a position that has been lacking the last few years. It's really it's probably since 2016 they haven't had really good um, NFL style tackles. I know Will Sherman was solid, but um, on the other side of Will Sherman was never really that good. I think this is a year that they actually have some players that can play the tackle position and some guys that have had some experience there. So I'm excited about that one. With this question, I'm going to kind of cheat and I'm going to take the group that uh, outside of quarterback, like he says, I can't pick quarterback. That's an obvious one. The other one that was just so awful this past year was their pass rush. They had nine quarterback sacks in 12 games. There wasn't another FBS program, and there's 130 other FBS programs that average less than one per game, and that that was CU. They got a couple edge commitments this past week, and it, it just can't be that bad in 2023. So I'm going to kind of cheat there. And then on the flip side, you know, the running backs group was pretty decent th- this past year. Uh, they just couldn't stick with the ground game because they were always behind and and they just were constantly trying to catch up on the scoreboard. But, you know, small sleep from just a production from a stat standpoint is probably the running backs group. And there's, as of the taping of this, there's not that clear all conference type guy that they have at that position. So uh, I don't know, is that cheating their chase to kind of go uh, in that direction? No, I just ran through them all in my head, and I think that's the only one that really makes a lot of sense. Maybe you could go wide receiver, but um, when you have a guy like Travis Hunter that could be playing some wide receiver next year, that's hard to say. But um, I do think wide receiver was still solid last year, especially with how Jordan Tyson performed and who was playing quarterback um, for him. So I, I think you could go wide receiver, but those are the only two position groups I can think of. Yeah, kicker maybe, I guess, <laughs> but I don't think anybody wants uh, that to be our answer. Oh, uh, yeah. William Gardner would be pretty upset at us if we did that. <laughs> Buff Predictor asked, How does the coaching staff bring all the new roster additions as well as the players together as a team? I believe that level of team chemistry will be an important factor in the degree of success that the program has in 2023. Will there be universal buy in? Forgive me if this is lacking in sensitivity, but it seems like Coach Prime, unlike previous head coaches, will have more of a luxury in weeding out any male contents. Yeah, there's no question that that Coach Prime uh, has proven that he can fill holes in a hurry. Uh, One thing that needs to be added in here, Chase, he, he talked about unlike previous head coaches. Well, part of that, too, is that, you know, the, the transfer restrictions are different now. 
you know, Carl Durrell was going to struggle to have success recruiting at CU because of his personality, his lack of cachet in that sense. But he also was coaching from a personnel standpoint in, in you know, targeting transfer recruits with an arm tied behind his back. So that part of it does does make Coach Prime uh, be able to weed out malcontents a little bit differently too, right? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, it's pretty much with this team and the way that the coaching staff sounds, it's buy in or get out. So it's that's going to be really easy. It's going to be easy to identify the guys that haven't bought in. And um, yeah, it does seem like it's, it might be easier to relinquish than in years past, but I, I think th- there was still a lot of that stuff going on behind the scenes in years past. Uh, I, I think it'll just be a lot more guys that end up leaving because of a coaching change. But this type of stuff has happened in college football. There has been cutting guys without actually cutting guys before that this isn't new. I'm not saying that team chemistry doesn't matter. It does. But Chase, the coaching staff last spring, was meshing really, really well. The guys in that locker room kept telling Brian and I and whoever else was you know around covering those practices that we love each other. We've got great chemistry on this team. They went out and went a one and eleven and were by far the worst power five program in the country. So yeah, I think talent trumps a lot of that team chemistry stuff as we've kind of learned covering this program over the years. It's not that you want clicks and you want there to be a lot of animosity in the locker room. I'm not saying that, but team chemistry doesn't guarantee wins as we saw in, in 2022 with this program. Winning football games does build some good team chemistry though. It's it does. Yep. And so if they start winning early, um, it's just going to continue to build, but yeah, I, I agree with, with your point. March 5980 asked Adam and chase who has been your favorite player to interview at CU since you've been covering the program is there a, a favorite interview you have from all the years yeah so it's been a while since i've been closely interviewing guys so i'm gonna have to go back a little bit but philip Lindsay always jumps out to me if you don't mention phil here you're crazy just the way that he interviewed and you could sit down and he would just talk to you for 15 20 minutes easily he didn't really care he enjoyed it i think actually um but that was probably my favorite part about phil the other one i really loved actually was Steven Montez because he was under a lot of criticism and he didn't have to talk to the media that way he he did. Um, but he was very open with us. And I always enjoyed talking with him because he was willing to talk. Um, he, he would be able to have a conversation with you for 15, 20 minutes too. I listed a bunch of guys here. I should probably just list them off. But the one that I picked because he asked our favorite, the one guy I'm going to go with here is Scotty McKnight. He was pretty awesome. And I was a young reporter at the time when he was in the program too. And so you kind of reach out to those guys, you know, are kind of safe interviews that are going to give you uh, some good stuff. And and Scotty McKnight, his whole time at CU was just an incredible interview. Philip Lindsay was the second guy on my list. I'll name some other guys off here that that I loved interviewing over the years. George Hippolyte, the rabid goldfish was awesome. Cody Hawkins, you know, I, I've been very vocal. The fact that uh, I'm not a big fan of his father, but Cody Hawkins was always so awesome with us in the media. Ben Bernie is an older name that, that was awesome to interview. James Stefano was yeah. pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. Ryan Moeller, always liked talking to him. Tony Clemens, a receiver at CU that played a little bit in the NFL, stood out. Derek Webb, Ryan Miller, 
Tyler Columbus, no surprise that he's made a, a name for himself in the media. Last year, my vote was for Casey Roddick. Really like Casey. Owen Carey is a young guy on this team right now that is extremely polished given his age. Deion Smith is an awesome interview, very candid. And then uh, Brady Russell was, was a really good interview during his time at CU. A lot of great guys. I'm sure I'm missing some, but those are some that, that have kind of stood out throughout the years. But Scotty McKnight right now is, is the GOAT interview for me. I like how they ask favorite and you just come with a list of talents. That's the Adam way. I love it. <laughs> I know you, you say Scotty McKnight, but you came with a list of talents. I think it's funny. It's hard for a kicker to make his way on this list. James Stefano was true, was yeah. was pretty amazing. Yeah, he, he's great. He still is keeps up with the team. I know a lot. He does. Yeah. Minturn Buff nineteen asked, "Which of the new staff members outside of Coach Prime are you most interested in interviewing?" Andre Hart. After watching that Amazon Prime uh, documentary, I'm I'm anxious to talk to him. He he was uh, pretty awesome throughout that series and and seems like uh I mean he could almost have a, a side gig as a stand-up comedian it feels like yeah I think you can name a lot of guys here actually I'm I'm very interested to talk to a lot of them but to me it's Sean Lewis that guy just seems so interesting the way that he carries himself and the energy and obviously that offense and then um making the decision to leave Kent State as a head coach and coming to Colorado I, I think that's something that I would like to find out more about. So there's just a lot of parts about him that are really intriguing. And he seems to have a great personality. I think he'd be yeah. fun to talk to. What is his, uh, his line? Life's too short to huddle. <laughs> That's <laughs> awesome. Think, think fast, something fast, go fast. Was what he told the players yesterday. Okay. I think, think fast, talk fast, go fast. Cause he talks fast. It was, <laughs> that yeah, he got out a lot of words in a, a very short period of time. That was impressive. <laughs> Moose four five five one asked, "From what you know, how does the support slash recruiting staff compare by just personnel numbers to years past? Seems much larger, and that's good." So yeah, they're still kind of finalizing all of that. We're not going to know the final number on that probably until. They're going out there for spring ball, but yes, it, it is a larger staff. If you've seen some of the, you know, behind the scenes footage, uh, I mean, they there there's enough people that are filling up the room basically, which is larger than in the past. And um, given how many, given where this program is, you're going to need more support staff. Uh, but don't know the actual final number on that yet because it's uh, just hasn't been finalized yet. Yeah, it, um, the recruiting staff is definitely much bigger. The, and they kept quite a bit of the recruiting staff from the Durrell uh, contingent on. So you added Dion's recruiting staff and his personnel guys. And then with um, what Durrell already had as his recruiting staff, that is uh, has grown a ton. It doesn't seem like the analysts are done yet, but we haven't seen too many of those be announced yet. Which is good, Chase. I know that there's this feeling of you need to kind of flush out what was in the program in 2022 to just start fresh, but you still need familiarity with certain aspects within the program, especially when it comes to the academic side and knowing how to navigate within the system. And so, you know, keeping some of those recruiting guys on board is the, they provide a lot, you know, to, to the table um, that it takes some time to be around CU Boulder to kind of know all the intricacies, you know? Uh, so, so I thought that was a good move by coach prime 
GK Buffs asked, do you know yet about your access to spring practice and players slash coaches? If not yet, when do you anticipate knowing more? And along those lines, Run Ralphie asked, what is the usual timeline for spring now that classes are starting up in terms of workouts and practices? When do you think we will begin to see how position battles are shaping up and how players are responding to all the changes? So a lot to, to respond to there. The spring practice schedule is usually announced in terms of the dates and the spring game date right during that signing period, uh, the regular signing period, which is February 1st this year. Um, Coach Prime has said that he wants us to have access to players and coaches. So I don't anticipate there being restrictions in terms of who we can talk to have no clue how much, if any of practice is going to be opened up yet, that has yet to be determined workouts that's starting this week. Now classes starting up at CU here today, we're taping this on January 17th. So yeah, well, the, in terms of the position battles that that's going to be a spring ball deal, but I, I do think that, these coaches will start to get a feel for, especially with the returning guys, who's hungry during during these workouts because they're going to be pushed. What, what are your expectations with that? Uh, I think some see some guys that were on CU previously are going to surprise some people. I think we will see some some hungriness, some hunger, and some starvingness, as I've heard Dion say. So um, <laughs> I think we will see some of that in these off-season workouts. And it'll be fun to see if we get any of that content to us. Alex1248 asked, with the unprecedented change of foot, how does Prime plan to integrate the old with the new? That includes everything from roster to coaches to traditions and so forth. Thanks. One thing I noticed, Chase, when he was going through and kind of talking about different quotes he wanted on the wall, some of the historical stuff he didn't want to mess with, which is important. Uh, you definitely needed to come to Boulder with a sledgehammer because they went one and 11 and have not had uh winning history here recently. So you, you had to make a lot of changes and create the plan that you see best going forth. But it rubs a lot of people the wrong way when you start messing with history too much. And, and so I thought that was a good sign that, that coach prime uh, shows that he, he respects, you know, some of that history at CU. Yeah, I I think he'll end up keeping a lot of the quotes and um, like the pride in the tradition, the big ones. Obviously, Ralphie's still going to be running, although that might be against uh, Dion's wishes at this point. But he's got to get to know Ralphie a, a little bit first. Um, so, the uh, big but Chase, I think I think now that he knows that Ralphie's got eight toes just like him, <laughs> he's, uh, all in. he's all in. <laughs> all, right. all right, I like it, um, but. Yeah, I'm not too worried about some of the traditions going. I know um, some CU fans are going to be upset to see a lot of red in the CU facility. I already see a lot of players wearing red, and I know it's one of Dion's favorite colors. He loves black and gold, but he used to wear a lot of red as well. So I think that's like one thing that maybe CU fans were used to in the past that's probably going to be completely gone. But um, they need a new rival anyway. I think that won't hurt to find something else to be worried about. Um, So... Some traditions are going to be gone. Some are going to stay. I think he's already done a great job of of kind of balancing that. Just got to make sure Brian Cabral is not around <laughs> if you're wearing red. But, yeah, I think it's less of an issue. I know that Nebraska is on the schedule in the next couple of years, but it seems to be a little bit less of an issue when you're not playing the Huskers every year because, I mean, 
I don't think anybody really has warmed up to Utah as a true rival. Um, or, or am I going to get blowback for that chase that that Red still needs to be banned from the building? I, I just, I, unless Nebraska's on the schedule every year, I don't see as big an issue with it. Yeah, traditionalists, you might get some blowback from it, but I just, it's not as big of a deal as it used to be anymore. And I do like the idea of still banning Red even in the Pac 12 because of USC and Utah and probably some th- the teams that you actually want to beat. But um, that's going to be a tough deal with a fashion guy like Deion Sanders. I think he needs his Red. Ellie Buff asked, in your wildest dreams, did you ever think you would be covering what is happening now with CU? Simple answer is no. <laughs> what about you, Chase? You could, could you ever envision uh, you know, Deion Sanders, Coach Prime, and, and all that's transpired here in the last 45 days? No, I, I couldn't have ever envisioned it. I didn't even really think that I'd be back covering the team at any point soon, but I'm back. And so I think all of this is kind of wild to me still. Taser94 asked, Adam, will you and Brian get to sample the new menu at the Champion Center? I think so, because they feed us that food for our press luncheons during the season. We're a ways off from that, obviously. But, yeah, hopefully. I mean, the food before was pretty darn good. Um, I get that 18 to 22-year-olds have a different metabolism and and can eat a little bit more fat than the some of us that are uh, creeping up into our forties and fifties, but uh, I love the food that they had before. Um, but I'm anxious to try some of the new food as well. Uh, we got a question about grits too. I, I know that village coffee shop is now serving grits and that that's obviously a move that uh, coach prime's arrival has created. I have never had good grits in my life, Chase. Um, Maybe I just haven't gotten grits at the right place. So if anybody hears of a place in Boulder that is is serving up proper grits that I need to try, I'm anxious to try them. I just haven't found grits to be all that great, at least from the places I've tried them before. Have you gotten good grits before? Yeah, so my mom's from the South. She's from North Carolina. And grits is just funny. Like. The only people from the South know what good grits really is. And I I think there's something about Southern people just growing up with grits and enjoying it because it's never been really for me, even good grits. So I don't know. There's something about it that is like nostalgic for people from the South, but I just don't see it. PA Buff asked with Coach Prime coming in and laying down his thoughts, you would think CU would have more transfers out. CU has had 12 while other schools have had far more transfers out, Arkansas 26, Florida 23, AM 27, Indiana 18, Arizona State 20, Cal 18, Oregon 18, LSU 17, Stanford 16, Arizona 22, Washington State 17. Why is that? Are we expecting an additional large wave of transfers out? Well, first off, PA Buff, you did a lot of research there. That's a, like a good breakdown. <laughs> We, we talked a little bit about this. You know, I, I think it's an example that a lot of returning CU players, they want to try to step up to this challenge. Are, are you surprised, Chase? I, again, we talked a little bit about this earlier. D- did you think that number would be up in the 20s at this point? I think I, I would have expected it, be, expected it to be closer to 20. Uh, just I think based off what everybody was saying um, when Prime made that speech to the players, but it doesn't really surprise me being around a lot of college football players, as we talked about earlier. They they're they think highly of themselves and they know that they can compete. 
Yeah, now it's that 15-day portal window you're going to see after spring ball. And so, like I mentioned, okay, so they're at 12 right now. They're going to need at least 10 spots, and you know they're going to add some more guys. So that number is going to end up north of 22, and you would guess at this point probably 25-ish, 26, 27. So the number is going to get up there. It just, uh, yeah, like we have talked about uh, a little bit slower to to – get up in that range than maybe we expected after coach prime's initial speech to the team. The other factor too, is they are coming from a one and 11 team. And it's not like a lot of these guys are going to have a lot of options in the transfer portal. Some guys from Arkansas and Florida and A&M, the, the top three schools that PA buff listed there, they are going to have options in the portal because they are four or five star recruits. But these guys coming from a one and 11 team that are three star recruits, it's a lot tougher for them. Idiot Clown asked, what is your best estimate on the total number of roster holdovers who transfer out or are otherwise no longer with the program after the spring semester? As a corollary, what are the options for the staff if a player doesn't want to leave? Can they just cut them? Do they have to honor the scholarship outside of athletics? You know, that's not something that that you really should have to worry about as a fan. It just gets done. Yeah, I I agree. It it ends up happening. Um, what I'm shocked about is idiot clown used a word like corollary, and <laughs> that's a word I haven't heard in a while. But idiot seeing that name makes me laugh every time I see it on the message. <laughs> uh, we kind of talked about the numbers a little bit, right? Probably in terms of guys that transfer out. When all is said and done, what do you think? Twenty. 526 is probably in, I think in that, in that plus, area. Yeah, it'll, it'll get to 25 easy. I, it'll be interesting to see if it gets closer to 30, I think. But 25 plus is a good estimate. In terms of holdovers, I'd have to go down the list and then do the math as a result of that number. Uh, it's not a lot. You know, there, there's going to be some guys. We talked about them early in the show that are going to surprise and guys that have shown promise for the future. Jordan Tyson, Van Wells, these guys. Um, but the vast majority of this team is going to be brand new uh, when they they kick off the 2023 season. Yeah, it seems like they're going to end up close to 50 new players. So that would assume around 35 holdovers, maybe a little bit more closer to 40, 35 to 40, I think is what it seems like right now. Ross Brenner asked, in the current state of the team and with the roster we currently have, what are your expectations for our record next year? Five and seven is where I expect six and six would be great. Any more than six wins would be exceeding most people's expectations. What are your thoughts? I'm going to let you go first here, Chase, because I predicted CU was going to win four or five games last year. So <laughs> I, might, I might not be the best person uh, to answer this question. I'm better with the the micro discussions when we're talking about roster composition and where certain guys fit in, who's standing out, position battles and all that stuff. But when you get to the, the macro level discussions, because – I don't see any other team practice, so I don't know how they're going to stack up against other Power Fives and Pac-12 programs. I picked them to beat TCU going into the season uh, for that first game, so uh, I- I'm going to defer this th- this question to you. This is a little bit more up my alley being a sports betting man, being a gambling man, because uh, yeah, you can see the over-unders, the, the win totals uh, for next season. I think right around, I think now it's around four and a half, four, four and a half. Um, which I think is a fair number. And you look last year, you were predicting four wins. I'm sure some other people around CU were predicting that. And I think it was two or two and a half um, that a lot of people were getting. So they did, Vegas does a really good job with predicting these win totals. I bet a lot of them 
last year, probably like 20 different win totals, and they all came down on the wire. It felt like they were all there on the last week. So four, four and a half, I think, makes a lot of sense right now. Um, we'll see if that number ends up climbing, depending on transfers and stuff. But um, four, there's still smart people that are betting the under on CU next year. And and that just might be, cut, might be because there's so much hype around CU that they feel like they're getting a better number by taking the under. Um, but there's still going to be some smart money coming on the under, and a lot of the public will be on the over on the win total. So four, four and a half, I think, makes sense. It sounds like Colorado's going to open at Oregon, followed by at home against USC. We know they've got a tough non-conference schedule. If you're betting, you know, the over, you're probably going to have to wait to the to the back end of that schedule to to feel good about that bet, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think we'll see how if, if you're looking to bet, I don't think you should be betting the over right now. But we'll see how it ends up playing out. I just think there's a lot of sharp people, a lot of um, guys that bet high amounts that are going to end up moving the line. And those guys have been on CU unders and they've made a lot of money off CU unders in previous years. So I expect there to be a lot of money that comes in on the under and the public's going to be on the over. So I think if you're betting the over, I think it, you, you should wait a little bit. Beats by Dr. Dumast. If we're going to have another conversation on the record with coach prime before the spring, uh, I would think so. He didn't do something during the early signing period. It was kind of a weird deal with the holidays and, and everything going on. Uh, I would imagine he'll most likely do something here in a couple of weeks, but we haven't gotten final word on that. So don't have a definitive answer there. And along those lines, unblockable asked regarding the off the record session you had with coach prime since you cannot go into specifics without being kicked out of prime circle of trust let's play a game of show and tell where you show us something without telling us diddly <laughs> that said on a scale of one to ten with one being may type of info where there may be reasons for the staff wanting to keep under wraps but nothing to get into a tizzy about in a 10 being a hold on to your butts, put the medical crews on standby because the fan base is about to go apoplectic. What number would you give and why? Wow, that is that is a mouthful of a question. Quite, quite the question. I think so. He's asking how drastic the info was that Coach Prime gave you. Is that what he's asking? Uh, yeah. I'm probably going to say our two or three. A lot of that stuff has already come out in terms of like, staff additions and i think most of what coach prime said during that off the record session he would say on the record it wasn't anything that would uh put the any reason to put the medical crews on standby <laughs> so yeah sorry to disappoint there but yeah no it would be on the low end of that scale i think i answered that properly right chase I think so, yeah. And Prime's so open and honest that, yeah, I would be surprised that he would have a ton of off-the-record conversations with you guys because I really don't think he cares too much about on the record. So I don't expect you to keep having those types of meetings with him. Yeah, the purpose of that more was just, okay, so he knows. he's a, These are the people that cover the program on a regular basis and an opportunity for folks to ask a few questions here. It wasn't anything groundbreaking. Forever Buff asked, Prime has put his mark on the football facility and made changes to reflect his vision and direction of CU football. His prolific use of social media has documented so many of these changes. The questions, do most head coaches take these liberties 
or is this unique to the Prime brand? And would you expect to see changes to our game day experience at the request of Prime as well? There's not another head coach in the country that does what Coach Prime does, and that what is part of what makes him stand out beyond his fame. Uh, you talked a little bit about this in terms of game day experience. I, I definitely think that's one area that you're going to see Coach Prime say, no, this is not cutting it. We need more entertainment value. Even I think we might see some of that with the, with the spring game because the spring games have been bland. And you know that Folsom Field, if it's not packed, is going to be close to packed for the first time for a spring game Uh I, I, I'm thinking forever, right? I mean, even in, back in the heyday, I don't think going to spring games was, was a big deal back when McCartney had the program humming. So uh, any thoughts here, Chase? Yeah, I think one thing that Coach Prime uh, maybe doesn't get enough credit for is he really knows what other people want. He knows how to bring entertainment. He knows how to bring the show for other people. He, he also knows what his players want. And that's why we've seen changes to the players lounge and some changes to the locker room. But um, he kind of knows how to improve the experience for everybody else. And so I definitely think game day experience is going to change, um, especially the music that's going to be playing before games. I expect music to be changed drastically. What's the best way for the Ralphie run to, to lead up to that? I think you got to get the crowd going somehow. You get like chanting or some song or something where the crowd is all involved and excited and then you bring out ralphie but like a countdown i don't think is enough but you need them like jumping up and down or I, that might get ralphie going a little too much but something along the lines of just getting the whole crowd involved and then send ralph yeah but most coaches they look at the media as um something that they have to do and us clearly with Coach Prime, it's just a 180. It's completely different than than what we've seen and, and what how most coaches kind of look at those responsibilities. Is Forever buff coach but, that you've covered that has worked in the media. Ooh, I think so. Yeah, I think you can even include assistance to that. I, I doubt assistance. No, Mel Tucker was was good, really good in this regard. And, and part of the reason that fans warmed up to him during his 14 months in Boulder, he definitely was not quite to the extreme of coach prime. Cause no one is in terms of this, the amount of behind the scenes stuff that they allowed to go out, but he definitely, you know, saw the media as a big part of his job and it, it does, it, it creates a lot of excitement in, in, you know, the, the media is, can can be a bridge to the fans and some coaches just don't see it that way. They see it as, you know, these people that are there to, you know, put them on the spot. And it's really just all we're trying to do is gather information, present it to fans. And uh, when you have a coach that understands that dynamic, it certainly makes your job as a media member easier. Forever Buff asked, the hiring of Prime has brought unprecedented exposure to CU, not only football, but as an institution. The indirect benefit to the university as a whole is huge. This is, of course, through the eyes of a booster. What have you witnessed outside the football facility in regards to the addition of Coach Prime? The best way I can answer that is just from our website numbers. And it's out of control right now, Chase. Uh, the interest in CU football is about... 
five to six times what it was just a few months ago before Coach Prime's arrival. That's the way that I can kind of look at it because I, I see those numbers. Um, you know, we haven't been around the football facility as much lately since the season ended, just because there's not a lot of media opportunities. Is there anything you've noticed kind of charting this uh, from the outside that uh, has has been different that, that you've witnessed with Coach Prime taking over? Yeah, the, the numbers are obvious. That's the the easy one to go to, just followers in general and, and all of that. But um, the one that's been most surprising to me is I've had a lot of friends because I, I went to CU for four years. I have a lot of CU alum friends that didn't care much about football. They go to the games on Saturdays, but never really cared much about football. They're texting me about recruits and they want to know who's committing, who's not committing, who's visiting, all this stuff that they have never asked me um, in six years since we've been CU guys. So uh, they're much more invested in recruiting and what's going on with the program. And I think that's been um, the most interesting part for me. And you hear a lot of the folks on our message board talking about how when they wear CU gear out, you know, to the gym or the grocery store or wherever, you know, you get interactions now, whereas that wasn't happening before. Mm-hmm. A lot more uh, go buffs and sco buffs being thrown around out there in, in, in public now. You don't you don't have to hide your love for the buffs quite as much these days. <laughs> it's not a shame. That's sad, but it's not as shameful as it used to be. Uh, yeah, hey, I get to wear my, I'm wearing my CU stuff with pride. I'm wearing more CU gear than I've ever worn. And I have way too much, too. K Mead 6236 asked, how does Coach Prime's use of social media change how you cover the program? I think still kind of figuring that out a little bit. I, a lot of the social media stuff is candid behind the scenes type stuff. It, it shows a lot of the personalities, but generally it's not a, a ton of breaking news type of coverage. I mean, here and there you'll see they show Coach Mo as a new strength coach before they've announced anything there, there are little bits in there that you definitely take. And then you as a media member have to go, okay, well there, there we go. We know who the new head strength and conditioning coach is uh, before uh, you know, you've been able to confirm it through sources or whatever, but uh, still kind of figuring that out a little bit, you know, obviously um, his son is running most of the YouTube stuff and uh, you don't want to step on toes there and, and it's out there for everybody to consume, which is great. So it, I think, our job has always been to kind of complement whatever, you know, social media coverage is out there. And, and so that'll be continued to be the case. And I don't know if it really changes much in terms of our coach interviews, player interviews, that stuff is still going to be important and still going to be consumed. And so uh, we'll continue to continue to do that, but it's great for the fans out there. They just have such, such a better, more inside look at the program now, whereas they, they weren't able to in the past. I think it helps a lot with getting a deeper understanding of these guys' personalities, especially the coaches. And I think that does end up helping with interviews and you kind of understand how they talk um, and kind of what their attitude is going into conversation. And I think you kind of get a feel for their personality before you actually go talk to them, which can actually help in an interview for sure. Yeah. Colorado asked, do you think the 2024 class will be as heavy on transfers or will high school recruits be the priority? So he's trying to go 40, 40, 20 with 20 being the high school. Now we, we know that number is going to be more than 20% because they've already gotten 16 high school signees. You only have 85 scholarship players. So it's going to be a little bit higher than 20%, but going forward in terms of the 2024 recruiting, we've already seen chase They're on the top list for a lot of talented guys, a lot of blue chip guys. So they're going to end up making high school a little bit more priority with 2024. That was just 
what they had to do. They had to completely overhaul this roster. And so, but coach prime has said many times he loves the transfer portal. He's going to use it every year, but you don't need to do 40, 40, 20. I don't think in 2024, because you can't even really pull that off here this first year, even though uh, coach prime has stated that was his goal. Yeah. And the transfer rules should get more stringent. So I don't expect them to be able to pull that off or with um, what the rules are going to look like in the coming years. Nip is 13 asked who would win in a race punchy or Dylan Edwards. Punchy is our <laughs> two-year-old boxer puppy. Um, punchy would get distracted by a blade of grass or a squirrel or a bunny and veer off course uh, straight line. Uh, Punchy's uh, going to win that uh, over a human, but uh, uh, there's no way whether it's a 40 yard dash or a hundred yard sprint uh, Punchy's getting distracted along the way. So Dylan Edwards is, is winning that race. If there was a treat at the end of the 40 yard dash, what do you think Punchy could run in the 40? That's a Straight good line. question. We should actually get her out there and time it. She's, uh, I'm in my office recording this podcast with you, Chase, and she's over in my office. Another chair I have in my office just passed out right now. So she, she doesn't look too fast right now, but I'm guessing somewhere in the threes. Somewhere in the threes. That's what I would think too. Probably. Now, uh, a greyhound showed up to the dog park a few days ago. That's a different level of speed <laughs> than, than a boxer. Um, That's probably high twos. Maybe, yeah, maybe high twos, low threes. The, yeah, greyhounds were just engineered. I mean, obviously, when they're they're younger, they they get a little slower. They lose a step as they get older, but they're just engineered to be runners. Uh, punchy, not so much. He's got floppy ears and just kind of runs in all different directions. But uh, yeah, if she was focused, uh, I don't think there's a human out there that could beat her in a race. Buff Two JD asked, "Is there any truth to the speculation that Adam has cloned himself?" Must be multiple versions of Adam to get all this coverage and keep it straight. Work Adam, family Adam, late night Adam, et cetera. So late night Adam doesn't exist. I'm usually in bed by 10 o'clock. Um, that, that story got posted at like 3 a.m. and everybody thought that you didn't sleep. <laughs> yeah, there is a, a deal in our on the back end where we can post date and time stories but yeah so if you ever see a story at three in the morning every once in a while there was a couple late stories i did in the middle of this but um, it comes down to uh time management compartmentalization and the fact there is no late night adam out was, there he's he's sleeping i was upset you weren't up when uh jd dominic committed what was that like 1 30 in the morning or two in the morning <laughs> sunday that's not happening <laughs> I, I was, well, this is going to say, say something about me, but I was still out at the bars when that happened. So I was up. I don't think I would have been able to write a story for you, though. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah, that, that one had to wait till the morning. We were asked a bunch of other questions. You know, there's a couple of them actually were really good questions that I just need to do some more digging on to actually get the question. It doesn't make for good podcast to say, to read a question and say, I don't know. Uh, some of them we just simply didn't have time to get to here. Did get a question about the Pac-12 schedule. Again, we're recording this on Tuesday, January 17th. That is going to be released tomorrow on the 18th. So we'll get a good look at the schedule then. Was asked about Marshawn Nealon. All I can say there is he's not expected to be at CU. Uh, anything else here to, to, to wrap this up, Chase? This was a, a fun podcast. Still, the, it feels like there is more topics to talk about than there is time allowed to actually be able to tackle everything, but we've got a big off season. At some point, 
the roster additions are going to have to slow down. There is that 85 scholarship limit that they are going to have to get down to eventually. So things will slow down a little bit, but I'm already looking forward to spring ball. I think it's just going to be the most action-packed spring in terms of all the storylines the great interviews that we can do. I just, I can't wait. And and we're still a couple months away from that starting, but uh, super exciting times to, to be covering this program and, and talking about it. Yeah. Likely the access that you're going to be able to get for spring ball um, is going to be unlike you've ever seen too. So it'll be fun to actually get out there, watch some football, watch these guys fly around and all the new guys. Um, I think it's always fun trying to figure out who all the new guys are out on the football field and all that. So um, I'm very excited to do that. I'll definitely get out to the spring game, maybe hopefully get out for some spring practices too, and start getting some knowledge. But even without that, all this content on YouTube now, I think that helps us with understanding the team as well. So I'm excited for the strength and conditioning part of it and the spring ball, because um, we're going to learn a lot about these guys. The regular signing period is two weeks and a day away chase let's continue to uh analyze this as best we can hopefully uh we can collaborate do some more stuff before february 1st sound good it sounds great i'm looking forward to it It shouldn't be too busy of a february 1st but hopefully there's there's some good news that's going to come to you bus fans way all right and thanks to everybody out there as always for tuning in